You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Um, well, we are going to get into the Word of God this morning, so I would love if you would turn with me, if you do have your Bibles, to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles on the tables right as you walk in. Feel free to take that, use it today, or if you want to keep it, it's yours to keep. But we're going to go ahead and read um, our verse and pray over it. But just as a way of recap, if you've been with us, we are in a study in the book of Philippians. And really what this is, it's a letter. We call it a book, but it's a letter written by this guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. You may know him well. He wrote most of the New Testament. Um, saved by the Lord, was a persecutor of the church, but God miraculously rescued him and transformed him. And much of what we read about in the New Testament and how the church grew uh, was by Paul. And Paul leading the way to start churches and to raise up leadership in these churches and then move to the next city and do this and do that for, for many years. And the current letter we are reading and studying weekly here at Reality, uh, we just dig in a few verses at a time, go chapter by chapter. We're halfway through it. But what's happening is that Paul is currently imprisoned in Rome. He's imprisoned due to Christianity and spreading the good news of who Jesus is and starting these churches and it's spreading throughout the ancient world. I mean, this movement of, of, of Christians and followers of Jesus is spreading. Like This is the formation of Christianity. And uh, he's stirring up some, and people aren't, aren't happy about that. And so Paul is in prison currently in Rome. He does not know the fate of his life. He does not know if he'll live to see another day or if he'll ever see these people in the city of Philippi. So again, he's writing this letter to these Christians, this church that he helped start in the city of Philippi. And so what's neat is, is when we read this, just think of it as an actual historic document that's been preserved for us. And it's a letter from Paul to a real group of people in a real city in a very much a church just like ours. It's a church that hasn't been around too long and they're learning the way of Jesus. This is what Paul is trying to communicate. He's trying to communicate, if you believe who Jesus is, and he, you believe that God sent his son to die on a cross and to forgive your sins, then this is in light of that. The implications of that uh, are this, that, and the other. And so he writes, a, we, we broke it up into chapters, but again, it's like a scroll penned um, that's carried uh, from a messenger to this, you know, this church. And so... We're getting a glimpse into this ancient document. It's pretty neat. And what I want to say before I read the first verse and pray is even though this was written a very long time ago to a very different people group in a very different culture, these truths are for us today. The Word of God is living and active. And these, these biblical truths, these truths about who God is and what it means for us is as relevant and applicable today as it was then. And so don't just read it as a historic document. Read it also as a living Word of God. And so it's for us today. Hold both intention. Sound good? All right. Let me uh, read Philippians 3.1. We're only going one verse today. I'll tell you why in a second. But one verse. And this is Paul. Again, halfway through his letter, he says, Further, 
my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as it is a safeguard for you. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you once again that we get to gather as your church. That as the church did some 2,000 years ago that we're reading about today, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you have grown the church. The church has reached the ends of the earth. And we, some 2,000 years later, get to continue on worshiping and exalting and learning from and hearing from the one true living God in the person of Jesus. And so, God, we we receive your word as your word, and we say, God, have your way with us and speak to us. And, um, Lord, we just want to say we want to be a people that rejoice in the Lord. We want to be filled with the joy of the Lord. And so, as Paul has this command to other Christians, we want to receive that, and I pray that you would help us to continue to learn what it means of how to to receive and to walk in the joy of the Lord. Um, Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I do want to harp on this idea of rejoicing in the Lord. This is a command that Paul's giving his brothers and sisters in the faith to you and I this morning. And he's saying, furthermore, or if all else fails, or whatever happens, continue to rejoice in who Jesus is and what it means for you. Rejoice in the Lord. This idea of rejoicing anytime um, in history, in life, in this fallen world, fast forward to 2,000 years later, this idea of having joy in your life and rejoicing, I really think is like, unfortunately, I lost art. Like, again, if you think of the world and even if you think of yourself or maybe people around you or just the world in general, this idea of joy or rejoicing wouldn't even be close to the top of the list to describe humanity, right? It wouldn't even be close. You would say, well, it doesn't matter if you're, how old you are these days or where you grew up or how much money you do or don't have or what country you're from or what... What you look like, doesn't matter. What would describe humanity? You'd probably hear things like, they're anxious, they're stressed, they're worried, they're depressed, they're fearful. The list goes on. Joy would not be on the list, probably. Maybe like happiness would be on the list, but joy is much deeper than that. So what I mean by that is like when you read this and when you hear like Paul commanding like every Christian in the world to rejoice in the Lord, have joy in your life, rejoice always. Like this is a common theme throughout scripture. In some ways, it's kind of like, that's intangible. That's not real. How can we ever even do that? Because it's just honestly a lost art. It's something that just used to maybe be around or something that we thought we'd get, and now it's like gone. It's kind of a silly example, but recently um, I was recalling, and it came up that like another lost art in life right now is driving like a manual transmission. No, it's true. I, again, I maybe he's talking from like an f- almost 40-year-old. But I can't believe how much of the world, again, no judgment. I'm just saying I can't believe that not a lot of people, 
drive stick anymore. And to be honest, I mean, I was blessed because I'm thankful. My, my first car, I still wish I had it, was like the 88 Toyota 4Runner with the top came off, stick shift, my favorite car, which never got rid of it. But the first week when I was 16 and I bought that car, I hated it. Because I'm like, why did, I, why did I buy a stick shift right when I'm learning to drive? This is the worst decision. But a week into it, now the, the, I'm reaping the benefits, like, for, you know. Years later, I'm so glad that my first car was a stick shift. And I'm sure many of you can relate. Many are like, I wish I knew, whatever it is. My point is, though, is that it's a skill that not many learn or know, and it's just a lost art. And that's what, like, when I read this, honestly, and I hear Paul commanding everyone to be joyful, I'm like, good luck. Or you know what I mean? Like, it's lost. It's lost. It's unintangible. Not many people have it anymore. It's elusive, maybe you would want to say it. Maybe only a few know it or get it. And honestly, most, most people in life, right, we're, we're numb or we're miserable or, again, joy and rejoicing is not um, in the list that would describe us. But what's so interesting, even though that may be like, the truth of where we sit in the world today. When we believe and follow Jesus, like we're, we automatically aren't like everyone else. Like automatically, the moment that you just say, like commit your life to the Lord, you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you confess him as, as Lord, like, like you don't, again, you're supposed to, you don't live with the same paradigms in life. You don't live with the same standards. You literally believe things about how the world is created, our purpose, what we're living for, who's in control. We know the end of the story. I mean, everything is different. You literally don't even see the world through the same lens when you are a follower of Jesus. Or you're, you're supposed to not. Like, we have a biblical worldview. We have a whole different way in which we, like, believe the world exists and our place in it. And so, again, I don't want to just go, well, you know, let's just jump with the things of the world. It's like, no, as Christians, you, like, are actually this, like, countercultural different people that you don't even live inside the world's paradigms at all. We shouldn't. So, how can we rejoice? How can we do that? How can we actually live out a life that's full of joy, joy in the Lord? And what it really comes down to like how we really can rejoice, I think it's embedded in Jesus and the cross and what he did on the cross and all the implications that comes from that. Also, I think that as Christians, what changes it all is that we live in light of God being in control. Like God is in control. He is sovereign. There's nothing outside of his reign and his rule. So again, that's part of how we can rejoice. Jesus making us right with God. Our, pres our present and a future is assured. Right? We're, we're like, how could we not rejoice in light of these truths? Because, right, our sins have been paid in full. We are new creations. The old has passed, the new has come. We're forgiven. Jesus paid the price on our behalf, right? How can we not rejoice? 
like, right, if we, we dwell on that and we live out those truths and if we meditate on those truths and we walk in those truths, how can we not rejoice? So, I'm, the kind of like the, the little challenge to us, all of us, myself included, would be, in light of all those truths, would our lack of joy maybe be on us at some point? Right? Because is there any insufficiency with God? It's like, no, God is not insufficient at all. There's no lacking in him. It's not like, well, God didn't do these things, so that's why I'm the way I am. It's like, no, I think it might be our faith and our belief may be lacking. Right? We may be choosing not to believe and receive. And, but it's okay. it's okay. Let's just be honest about it, right? Instead of like putting all the, you know, responsibility on, on God, it's your fault. The reason why I'm feeling the way I am. It's like, I don't think God has the sufficiency. I think if anything, it's, the, it's, the, it's on us to be like, okay, like, am I trusting and believing in who God is and the implications? And am I walking those out? Don't get me wrong. All of us in one way or another are, are not doing this or, you know what I mean, not experiencing the fullness. And that's okay. We're works in progress. God has a lot of grace. But in, for a lot of us, we just may need like a transformative change from the Holy Spirit, right? To put our full trust in Jesus, to experience his supernatural joy in the Lord. And to walk that out. Because this is not easy. This is like way easier said than done. Like, again, I'm this is like super ethereal and high level and it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit, right? To live and walk out these truths and constantly recall who Jesus is. What this doesn't mean though is that you just have to like deny all your feelings and you got to put on a face and like, you know, always be happy. Everything's good. Like be in denial of all your problems. Like that is not also, that's, that's, that's the other side of the spectrum. That is not how we should be. Life is really hard. All of us go through a lot of pain. A lot of us are currently going through a lot of suffering. We will all experience incredible hardship, loss, tragedy. I mean, you name it. Like, life is really, really hard. And we're not supposed to deny how those things make us feel. We still can and will experience all of that, but also, and, and it's accompan their accompanying emotions, but at the same time as a Christian, it also means that we can trust and rejoice in God's character and his plans that ultimately it's all going to be okay. It's not an either or. Paul's not saying to his brothers and sisters in Christ, deny everything bad and just be happy and put on a face. Fake it. No. He's saying all of life's going to happen. You live in a broken world. You're going to experience all of this. But also know who God is and know who's in control and know the future and know the end of the story and know who you can go to in prayer. Like there's both and. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Right? And, and maybe not now, like maybe not in the moment, but in the big scheme of things, Paul would actually tell the Christians in Rome in another letter, Romans, right? Romans 8.28, 28. 
that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So, so as Christians, again, we live with a different worldview. So the whole world kind of is burning and, you know, horrible and there's so much pain and there's wars and there's tragedy and loss and death. But as Christians, that's all true. We, we acknowledge the brokenness, but also we know that God is in control and he's going to work all things out and God is here with us and he's ever present and as cheesy as it is, it's all going to be okay. If we trust and know God and believe that he's sovereign and we believe in the finished work of the cross and we walk it out, like it really is. So when Paul says something like rejoice in the Lord, there is much reason why the Christian can walk in and live out a deep sense of joy and gratitude. Again, that doesn't mean that we fake it, but Paul's plea here for the followers of Jesus, that's what you call yourself and that's what you believe in, is to remember and recall and strive to walk in the joy that the cross and the gospel of Christ gives us. Again, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be fixed and the circumstances get better. And so our circumstances are better, so now I'm joyful. It's like, no, circumstances may not get better, but our joy should supersede circumstances. That's the whole point. And... What's neat is it, it lines up with what Jesus told us he came to do. John 10, 10, Jesus speaking, his words. He said, the thief, Satan or the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came so that you would have life and have it abundantly. You break down that like abundant life, abundantly, living abundantly, that's a life that's full of joy, hope, and purpose. Jesus came to give our life joy, hope, and purpose because he restored a broken relationship between us and God. We know now how we're supposed to live. We know the end of the story that Jesus has already won. We know where we're going. And not only do we have abundant life now, but we have the promise of eternal life to come. Like, and that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord. What he's not telling them is saying, rejoice that you're financially secure. He's not saying rejoice because you have perfect relationships and, you know, you got what you wanted and you don't have any drama in your life. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And a lot of his letters is like, because drama's all around you, and you're going to be persecuted, and the world's going to hate. Like, it's going to be, like, bad, but rejoice in who God is, and don't let the circumstances dictate your emotions. It will be hard, but God is better, and God is bigger. This is what Paul is saying. So, how do we walk in this? Again, this is so, I'm more of a practical person, so if I'm hearing this sermon, like, even in my notes, I'm like, it's still just ethereal. This is still just a lofty idea that how do I even get this? So I'm going to try to just get, make it as practical as this can possibly be, right? But how do we walk in this in 2023 in a world that so often 
is full of everything else other than the joy of the Lord. Well, first and foremost, it's really important. It starts with belief. So this is the question that I propose all of us in this room. Do we believe in who Jesus is and what he did for us upon the cross? Do we believe that? Do we know, do we understand what what that means? Are we aware of the implications that the cross has upon us? And are we living life daily out of that life-changing, world-altering truth? So this is where I'll get a little practical, right? It starts with belief. You have to do that because you can't move on unless you believe those things. But this is what's important to know. This is really important. That believing and following Jesus is supposed to be a new way of life, a new paradigm, and really a new lens at which we look at the world. And Sunday is one-seventh of our week of how we are to walk and live out this joy. Again, so much emphasis is put on Sunday mornings, and there are good reasons why churches gather. Like, it's good and right. But sometimes we can get in trouble where, like, that's the day to be with Jesus. That's the day to receive. That's the day to read the Bible. That's the day to do this. Yes, but again, that's one-seventh of your week. It's actually only, like... I mean, it's two hours of the day of that one-seventh, right? It's like, so here's, I have it on the screen because this is, this, is, this is true. Life with Jesus isn't meant to be compartmentalized. And again, I think sometimes when we, for, when we over the last 2,000 years, formalized religion has lended to, unfortunately, like it's good, it's meant to be good, but... It's compartmentalized it for us. And it's maybe bifurcated our faith because a lot of people, if you were going to ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? They would say, well, I believe in this truth. And another thing they'd be like, and I go to church. Yes, both of those are true. But what are those things supposed to do to you? They're supposed to change you and transform you. And so when you walk into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday... In your, with your parenting and with your relationship with your spouse and with your job and how you treat people and how you spend your money and how you spend your time and all of that is supposed to be looked through the lens of Jesus in a biblical worldview. Not just a Sunday. Sunday is a part of it. It's an important part, but it's not the only part. Right? And that's why when we, we gather with the saints all together to worship and fellowship and pray on a Sunday, it's amazing but I think for many of us, because we compartmentalize our faith, the rest of the week, we just live and allow life to dictate and direct our emotions every which way. And we have no bearing. And most importantly, like our joy gets robbed. And all of a sudden, it's just like life is miserable. And, and to be honest, it is really sad to see that so many Christians' lives are lived without joy. They're just not joyful. Again, I'm not saying that you have to put on a face. Like, be authentic. You're a human. And that doesn't mean that you can't, like, go through hard times and seasons and hard days. And, like, be, it's, it, that doesn't mean that. But, again, 
the whole idea here from Paul is to not compartmentalize it, but to be transformed and renewed and continue to be redeemed and surrendered to Jesus and to try to walk out and receive and walk out in uh, that joy. Right? The goods and the bads of life in this broken, imperfect, temporal life are to be looked at through the lens that God's in control, Jesus uh, made us right with God and continues to make all things good and right. And, and, and take this to the bank, but the more of, your, of our life is, can, is surrendered to these truths and lived out in this way, with this worldview, the more we will walk in the joy of the Lord. The less elusive and foreign and lost art it will become. And I really do. I've seen this. Like I've seen this in people's lives. That the more you surrender, the more you trust in the Lord, the more you believe that God's in control and the implications. And you walk that out on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And you don't do it perfectly, but you attempt to do it. The more present joy and hope and purpose your lives will have. Like it is, you can, you can test the test time. And so I want to encourage us this morning as we end in worship. Every, every Sunday we, we have a few more musical worship songs. And not only is that to praise God for who he is and what he's done, but it's a time of response. It's a time to respond to this. And so there's really, I think, three ways that we actually encourage. I mean, there's more, but there's three ways that we encourage you during this time of response to, like, bring these things before Jesus. One is communion. We have communion up here, right on these tables, these little tables right by the plants, every Sunday. And we, it's, it's self-service that any time during these next few worship songs, there's cups of juice and there's cups of bread, and what communion is, again, it's not made up by the church. It's made up by Jesus himself at the Last Supper. He instituted communion. And what he told his followers, he says, as often as you take communion, do it in remembrance of me. And he was talking about the cross. When you eat the bread, it reminds, uh, it reminds us as the church of his body that was broken upon the cross. And when you take the juice, it reminds us of his blood that was spilled on our behalf. It, it realigns our hearts and minds with the finished work of the cross. That's, that's, so I want to encourage you as you feel led anytime. We also have prayer carpets up here, uh, I mean worship carpets. And so we put these up here. Um, not just to look cool or whatever. It's, it's to offer, if you want, a place where you can just kneel before the Lord in a posture of surrender. Or if you just want to separate yourself from being distracted and just come to the feet of Jesus and worship him and pray and seek his face. We also want to just encourage that we would be a church that prays for each other. That we take our requests to God on another's behalf. And so I want to highly encourage, like, you going out of your way, turning to someone next to you, asking how they're doing, asking how you can pray for them during this time of worship. Walking across the room, like, knowing what someone's going through and praying for them to experience the joy of the Lord in the midst of that. Like, that's the, that's the kind of things we want to do in these next few worship songs. So I'm going to pray, invite the worship team up, and then we'll enter into this time of response and worship. Father God, we thank you for 
once again lovingly teaching us and reminding us of who you are and what you've done for us. And God, we just pray that during this time of worship, during this time of response, that we would engage with you. We would respond with you. God, I pray that you would free us from distractions. We all have to-do lists. We all have stuff after church. But I pray that these next few worship songs, during that time, that we would pray, that we would seek your face, that we would hear your voice, that we would um, raise our hands, stand up, kneel down before you. We take communion and we remember who you are and what you've done. So Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts this morning. We love you, God. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.